to Cup of Cubby Blue. You're the Cubs finally snapped their 10-game losing streak by snapping Atlanta's 14-game winning streak home for Cubs baseball news updates and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs and the StubHub disaster and more at Bleed Cubby Blue. Danny is out of town this week, but I am thrilled to be joined by Bleacher Nation's Brett Taylor to sort out this Cubs series win over Atlanta as the team heads to Pittsburgh for four games against the Pirates. Happy Father's Day, and thanks for joining me, Brett. Oh, thank you. You are too kind, Sarah. Thank you for having me on. And I'm chuckling. I um, So I do a podcast at The Athletic, and um, I'm the ho- I'm I'm you. And so like you started doing the intro and like a part of me triggers and I'm like, wait, no, I'm supposed to be saying this stuff. And because uh, it's it's been a while since I've been on the other end of this. So I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, no worries. I do that all the time when I'm a guest on other people's podcasts. Like, <laughs> you you don't control the pace of this. Like you don't have to direct or toss to people. It's all good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I really appreciate you joining us. Uh, lots of baseball to talk about this week. Some good stuff, some bad stuff. I'm going to apologize at the outset. I live on Halstead Street in Chicago and Pride Fest is going on right now. So there's a non-zero chance we're going to hear background noise that includes everything. Like there, there is literally a stage set up about 500 feet from my apartment and I've got the windows closed and everything and I think it's going to be fine. But if you hear like a really solid bass or you hear like a show, well, that's because there is a show outside of my apartment right now. Yeah. Halstead is like the center of the center for pride. So you are like right there. Hopefully you are enjoying it when not recording. Oh yeah. Always. I mean, it's a, it's a great place to be. I actually love that Wrigleyville and Boys Town kind of abut the way that they do. There's a couple of weeks every year where there's just that solid like pride energy (laughs) into baseball game energy and back type of thing, which I think you can really only get in a ballpark that's in a city like that. But Uh, If we hear background noise, that is why. Let's just jump right in. So the Cubs snapped that 10-game losing streak. And honestly, I was a little bit, I didn't think they were going to do it against the Braves. So that was surprising and fun for me. Uh, They are no longer right at the basement of the NL Central. They've got a couple game lead over that Reds team. But who knows? They, They could always flounder again. That first game was honestly a little bit of a nail biter, a 1-0 win and a great Keegan Thompson start. Brett, what did you see in this game? I am like loving Keegan Thompson, and I, I every time he just he goes out and he's nails. I, you know, my main reaction to that game is I just I liked it, and and I mean that not in a facetious or uh, s- simple way. You know, I think because we had been tracking that ten game losing streak, and included within it were back to back really rough Keegan Thompson starts. Um, to see him coming out, owning the way he was, to see the Cubs then uh, push across that run late, um, little small ball doing it. I'm, I don't necessarily consider myself a small ball person, but you know when you're ending a ten game winning streak, uh, beggars can't be choosers. And I, I just, I just really appreciated how that game came together. And I think also Friday afternoon. Uh, it's hard to put a finger on it exactly, but I just, I really enjoyed it despite everything, despite what we know, what this season is. We're not foolish. And, but like sitting there watching that game, I'm just like, I just enjoy this. And it felt like the first time in a long time that I was sitting and covering. Yes. But just like enjoying a Cubs game. So that, that was my main takeaway from Friday's game. I, I, 
hear you on just enjoying it and liking what was going on. I I loved that Thompson went toe to toe with Charlie Morton, who he struggled a bit this season. He doesn't look like Charlie Morton of old, but really he pitched a gem too. Seven Except innings. When, he's, when you're facing the Cubs, you right? Can yeah. Look like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seven innings. Both of them had nine strikeouts. Keegan Thompson went six. Um, I I agree with you on the small ball portion of this. It's, it became apparent pretty early that runs were going to be at a premium in this game. And so it was nice to see the Cubs make that work. Although man, I, every time Jonathan VR is on the base pass acting like he can still steal bags. I get so nervous because he, he is not the same Jonathan VR who stole like 40 bags all those years ago. He, and and I'm not trying look like age catches all of us, right? Like I am at that point in my life where that I cannot stay up super late and just do the 5k in the morning. It's not going to work out the way I want it to. And and I've had to learn that lesson the hard way. And I'm far from an MLB caliber athlete, but I was real nervous watching Jonathan VR try to swipe third there. It worked. I'm glad it worked. Uh, I, he's not a stolen base machine. (laughs) Yeah. He, uh, I was thinking on that, on the sack fly, um, how to, how to put it. I mean, we think of him as not like a speedy guy, but like, we watched him with the Brewers back when, when he was stealing a ton of bases fast, even his time with the Orioles, you think of him that way. And obviously here with the Cubs, that is not the mold he fits into. And that was not an especially deep sack fly. And so it was like, Oh no, I, this, this is not looking great, but I did love. So two things about that one, I mean, great on Chris Morrell, put the ball in play. That's the second time he's done that in a key spot like that. And you just, you love to see that, especially from a young guy who otherwise had had strikeout issues in his career. Um, I loved Wilson Contreras booking it over to the plate so that he could guide VR and then VR executed a truly incredible slide. I mean, it was, it was a really fantastic slide. Um, So everything came together really nicely on that play. And that, I mean, that played also, like I said, into just, just enjoying, you know, we've had so few, I think even plays like that to enjoy. So I really wanted to live in that for, for a bit. Yeah. You said something there that I want to talk about a little bit uh, and we can just bump it up to the rundown now, but where Christopher Morrell, the league is adjusting to him, right? Like he is not the same dude who got on base 22 times to start his career. And, and you can see it in the stat cast numbers. If you go look at his page on baseball savant, You'll see that he's really good against fastballs. He's not quite as good against breaking stuff or off-speed stuff. The league is going to throw him more breaking and off-speed stuff. I mean, his whiff rate against sliders is substantially higher higher than his whiff rate against fastballs. And and this is a thing that everybody goes through. Say if Suzuki was going through this right before he got hurt, he's going to continue to go through it when he comes back. So I think Christopher Morrell's strikeouts are going to climb a bit. But even as they do, I don't think they're out of control by any stretch of the imagination. He's really done a nice job staying in himself on plate appearances and making sure that he's trying to stay competitive in the attack and the defense plays, man, like the, the glove plays, the arm plays when he's on the bases, he's a threat to steal. He's a smart base runner. I, I think that Christopher Morrell is a hidden gem in this Cubs season that frankly, I was not expecting to see. I was not expecting to see him for another season. No. And even when we did, I don't think any of us were expecting him to be this impactful um, whenever he did arrive. And I think you, you nailed a really important part of his value, which is that defensive versatility where he's not just a guy who can play anywhere. He's going to play pretty well, just about anywhere. And we've really only seen him primarily in center field right now, because that's where the Cubs need is, but he can play 
he can play great third base. He can play very capable shortstop. He can play very capable second base and obviously anywhere in the outfield. And I think that's going to be really key to him remaining a valuable player to this team in the years ahead. Um, because as you rightly point out, there is going to be that adjustment that, you know, he came into this year where we did still have a lot of questions about the contact and until this year, he'd also really struggled against righties. He had sort of really owned lefties, but, but struggled a bit against righties and we're not seeing that this year. And so some of that is a step forward, no question, but I think it's fair to be a little cautious that this is a guy who, you know, he's, he got like a cup at triple a last year, but effectively he came up straight from double a and, there's just, there's going to be hurdles and adjustments for a guy like that. And I, I hope everybody stays on board because what he's shown so far is um, a a talent level commensurate with being a quality big league player. Like, I don't think you can deny that at this point. Um, It's just going to be a matter of refining at the edges, uh, seeing him continue to develop, to learn the pitchers better, learn how they're going to attack him, all of that stuff. Uh, But yeah, he's been one of the brightest spots this year. The place I would like to see him get some more reps, and I think you're absolutely right about remembering like where he came from. He has taken such a huge leap forward on this MLB stint. Like he's walking more and striking out less than he has at most stops in the minor leagues. That's a very difficult thing to do when you move from say high A to double A. It is a functionally I, I I don't know of a guy who's done it going from double A to the majors and done it so well. It's really quite impressive. To see, but I would love to see him at second base a little bit. I it, it seems like the Cubs are going to play out the string with Jason Hayward, and I look. I know you and I both have opinions about that, but we we don't make that decision. That's a decision for people above our pay grade. Um, if Jason Hayward is going to move back to center field when Seiya Suzuki comes back, second base is really a place where the Cubs could use a better bat, and the glove will play there. I am over watching Andrelton Simmons get at bats. His OPS yesterday when I was at the ballpark was at 400 and went down to 393 at one point during the game. And that is not his on base. That is not his slugging. That is the two of them combined. (laughs) Stellar on base percentage there. It would be. Yeah. I am. I'm with you. And what's going to be interesting is um, with Nick Madrigal out, he's got the groin injury that, he seemed to suggest was not serious. Um, David Ross and Jed Hoyer, while not necessarily speaking specifically to the groin injury being terrible, kind of hinted at the idea that physically they they aren't sure Madrigal is, uh, I don't want to say not 100% because that makes you think of like the injury stuff, but like physically is not aligned, I guess. And so that that's, in, that's what's maybe primarily impeding his ability to make reasonable contact because uh, he is not this year. He's just flat out made among the worst contact in baseball. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what the Cubs do with him in terms of, does he actually spend some meaningful time at Iowa this time around? And um, I've talked before about the fact that while a lot of us came into this year, sort of at a gut level feeling like, Oh yeah, Nick Madrigal is an established big leaguer. He's the second baseman. You know, when you really look back at his track record and the trajectory, he had two shortened seasons that, and almost no time in the upper minors. Um, He was successful. So you sort of elide over that, but when he's not being successful and he's still very young, then you start to check yourself and say, okay, wait, maybe it is reasonable for this guy to get some more time in the upper minors. And, and if we see that we also got David Bodie coming back Um, he was raking this weekend at Iowa and I, I 
I don't expect the Cubs necessarily to say, okay, this is a chance to, you know, give him those starts at second base. I don't, I wouldn't bet on that, but I also wouldn't say it's impossible. Um, so keep that sort of in mind. Um, and then like you said, the, the thing that would make all of this so much easier is if Jason Hayward weren't commanding starts every day, because then regardless of say a Suzuki returning, uh, regardless of what happens at second base, you're not going to have to worry about finding regular starts for Christopher Morrell because you're going to be able to slot him in wherever Hayward would have been. So that's where I feel like it's coming to a head. Um, I'd love to see him at second base more if, if that opportunity came up, but I wonder timing wise, if, if, if say Suzuki and Nick Madrigal and or David Bodie come back at the same time, it's going to come down to Morrell or Hayward. (laughs) And I don't even want to have that conversation. Yeah, no, we're not going to have that conversation today. It's too nice of a day. I wouldn't do that to you on (laughs) Father's Day. I I will say that the Nick Madrigal point is well taken. I did a bit of a deep dive on him a few weeks ago, and I'm waiting for some more data before I, before I go live with it. But the thing about Nick Madrigal that is really interesting. He he's one of these like savant level contact bats, right? Like his special skill in baseball is that he can make the bat hit the ball and put it into play no matter what. He doesn't have a bunch of power. He's not the guy, he's not the guy who's gonna hit you 20 home runs. He's not gonna hit you five home runs, but he can make contact with with any count really. And that has always been his special skill. And that's not happening right now. Um he has done that at every level he's ever played at. He has done that at every minor league level. He has done that in the major leagues. We know that's a skill that he has. And I and I think that what you said about him just not being aligned is correct. Like, it's not like he, yes, there's all these lingering injuries. It, he's very young. He came off major leg surgery and he's not quite back to the level that he has been with that contact skill. And for a guy, like if you're a Christopher Morrell guy and you're not making that contact, well, you're also still doing some great things in the in the outfield. You're still throwing the ball really well. You're doing a lot of other stuff. You can hit for some power to make up for it a little bit. Madrigal doesn't have any of that power type of stuff to 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 back him up. His arm is not particularly impressive from second base. I'm not trying not trying to throw the guy under the bus. Like he he is not like a yes, this guy is an A plus defender and we must keep him in the field for his defensive work, right? So I think that sometime at AAA would do Madrigal well. And I like him as a long-term play for the Cubs. I like seeing what Cody Hoyer has when he comes back. I I think it's too early to judge the Kimbrel trade, but I do think Madrigal could use some time in AAA. Let's talk about the second game of this series. This is Contreras Day at Wrigley Field. And we know that I love Contreras Day at Wrigley Field. I wasn't going to miss this for all of the world. Uh, Look, they were both great. Uh, William went two for four. Wilson went three for five. It was like big brother just kind of edging out little brother just a little bit and everything, including the victory. But I got to say my favorite thing happened in the first inning when Wilson's on first base and Christopher Morrell is on third. And Wilson tries to do that little deke move that him and Javi used to pull off every now and again where he makes a big show of stealing second and then Christopher Morrell can just go home. And his little brother deked him back. He's like fake throwed like to second and Christopher Morrell had to scamper back to third and both runs ended up scoring anyway, but that was honestly just wholesome, wonderful baseball fun. It was great. Oh, I just, that, that embodies so well. And then some of uh, Wilson's comments after the game, that combination of how sweet this is, that it's two brothers getting to play together at the highest level, knowing what they've gone through to get there. But then also they are brothers who want to beat each other. And, uh, and maybe even more than that, don't want to lose to each other. You know, there there is a difference between wanting to win and not wanting to lose. And um, I thought that was 
that was a layer to that game that that just made it also very enjoyable again a lot easier when the cubs win like it's it that i can turn anything to, to into joy when the cubs win but um to have that story playing out was was pretty special it was super special. You actually had a great piece on another like kind of hidden element that went on in this game where Wilson j- kind of half jokingly told Justin Steele he wasn't going to call pitches against his brother because he didn't want to be responsible there. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that? Because I thought that was just a gem in Bleacher Nation. I loved it. Yeah. So he was uh, uh, saying after the game and Justin Steele mentioned it well as well. I saw it in his postgame comments that uh, when they were going over the game plan uh, for the Braves in general, but then Willie William specifically Wilson was basically like, Oh, by the way, you, you know, you're going to have to tell me what you want to do. Cause I'm not calling pitches against him. And, and then he joked, you know, he's like, cause look, if, if he, if he gets a hit or he knocks you around, I don't want to be the one that he gets to say, aha, I beat you. Uh, so, you know, implication being it's on you, Justin, he will have beaten you. Um, and that, that too is just a funny layer to like, you, you know, how competitive they are. They want to win but they also understand at a fundamental level that this is baseball. It's fun. And it's um, the experience of being there and doing this is the whole thing. And so seeing their family there, um, obviously the hugs. And I mean, it was, uh, that was a pretty great day. The only thing that could have made it a tiny bit better is if it were today, because then you get all the, Oh, it's father's day, you know, (laughs) all that extra, extra light stuff. Yeah, I saw the family on the field afterwards, and uh, Avi, the Joe over at Avia Shirts had made the Contreras dad, Contreras mom shirts, and you had uh, Wilson's dad had the William jersey on. He had the Braves jersey on, but he had Wilson's all-star hat <laughs> on and the Contreras dad shirt, and I was just like, this is the greatest thing. I just can't even imagine the pride that their parents must have had. It was so fun. The other thing that was awesome in this game that I want to talk about a little bit Justin Steele uh, did not look 100% awesome the entire time. That fifth inning was a battle for sure. There were a couple walks there that I'm sure he would love to have back. But David Ross did not go get him. Admittedly, the bullpen has not been nails when David Ross has brought them in recently. And I thought that it was telling. Well, one, it's telling on a depth level, right? This team does not have a ton of depth right now. And and we saw that exposed during the 10-game losing streak. So, But Ross really let Steele have this is your inning and what happens in this inning is going to determine the game and you're going to get in it or you're not, you're not going to get out of it. And that's, that's just what's going to happen. I thought Steele really battled back. Well, I liked that he did that. I, I, my heart was in my chest, I like in my throat, just beating. I was so nervous the whole time. Yeah. I liked the, not only at a game level, give the starting pitcher a chance to get out of it, but I think, what I thought about it as I was watching that fifth inning play out is from a developmental perspective, I wanted to see Justin Steele get the opportunity to, when he didn't have his best command, get into, get into some trouble as he's nearing the end of his pitch count and hitters have seen him several times that day and just wanting to see, can he get out of this mess? Um, I think that kind of thing winds up paying off more long-term that even if he had blown the game, okay, live to fight another day because this season is not going to be it anyway. So yeah, I, that was one of my favorite parts of that game uh, was seeing him get that opportunity and, you know, do, do well enough with it that he can probably walk away from it saying, okay, 
you know, I didn't have everything, but here's how I was able to execute and, and get out of this moment. Yeah. The last part of that game that I thought was really interesting and great victory for the Cubs, uh, you know, Chris Martin coming in after Wick and Efros with David Robertson unavailable, I thought was interesting to see him in that sort of like circle of trust for David Ross. I not sure I would have put him there myself. Honestly, it looks like he, it, it almost looked like an audition to me like, Hey, Chris Martin, are you going to be able to handle this? Uh, it, but it, it did, it did flag why they were interested in seeing what he could do and why Clint Frazier, who has accepted his designated for assignment um, assignment at triple So he's still in the Cubs system. He's not going anywhere just yet. Uh, but why they wanted to get a look at him when they ran out of playing time opportunities for Frazier. Yeah. So, I have noticed in the in the the discourse capital D out there about Chris Martin that he's not maybe quite as beloved as some of the other relievers and which is understandable because his results haven't been the same but at a at an eyeball level at least and then in the recent history of his success I have felt like he's looked pretty good um I think and and even in this um Braves game I believe was another example where at least one of the two hits he gave up was just like a crappy bloop nothing um I, I just i feel like he's had some really bad luck which you know i again i know how people take that and but i i think if you dig in and i'm i plan to um i i think he has been better than the surface level numbers and i think you are right to note that it seemed like when certain other guys were not available David Ross was like, well, this is the sort of next guy up. Like, I think, I think Chris Martin at this point is maybe a little more trusted than Michael Givens, for example, For sure, Um, because Givens has been great at times, but when he's been off, it's like, he's uh, very wild. And then his fastball is wild in the zone and he's given up dingers and uh, you can't have that from leading reliever. And um, it will be very interesting. Both of those guys and some others in the bullpen, but those two to see what happens over the next month in terms of usage and trying to get them stabilized, because again, we all know what's going on. Like these are guys that the Cubs want to potentially be able to shop at the end of July. And right now, I don't know that they would have value commensurate with what you would have expected um, coming into the season for two established, very successful late inning relievers. You know, uh, Michael Givens, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Michael Givens. I'm fascinated by him. My friend Mikey Ahedo over at Baseball Prospectus did a really nice write-up on him before he signed with the Cubs, actually, just looking at his stuff and, ha- and how, if, how, how good it is, even though it is not always effective, which is exactly what you just flagged right there. Um, but the, the thing about Givens in particular, every time he comes in, it reminds me of the old Justin Wilson experience. It's like, oh, do we get good Justin Wilson today or do we get bad Justin Wilson today? It's like there was no in between. He was either going to give up the game or he was going to like get out of the inning in five pitches and strike out the side. And 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 Michael Givens and Justin Wilson are very similar relievers to my eye. That's too funny. And I hadn't thought of that comparison, but like that was the Justin Wilson experience. Like he'd come in and he would be so absurdly good that you're like, how does anyone ever touch this guy? And then he would come in and he could not throw a strike to save his life. And the wildest thing about that is pre Cubs, he'd been like a really significant control guy. Like that was never an issue with him. And um, yeah, you wonder if the Cubs were successful in unlocking maybe a little extra stuff that kind of sauced up the, you know, this when he had the really good outings, he looked extra nasty perhaps, but it maybe, uh, maybe it cost him a little something on the control side. 
Yeah, we, we are coming up on a quick commercial break for our sponsors. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, on the flip side, we're going to talk about the third game. We're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into Kyle Hendricks. Then we're going to preview four games in Pittsburgh that start on Monday. But first, a quick break. And we are back. Uh, third game, Dr. Kyle, Mr. Hendo, Dr. Hendo, Mr. Kyle. I don't even know what to do here anymore. I will always love Kyle Hendricks. He was absolutely lights out in 2016 when the Cubs needed him most. He has put together some really good major league seasons and was substantially underrated, in my opinion, for a long period of time. And at this moment in time, if that sinker isn't working and he has to move to the four seam, it is not a pretty sight. He doesn't look very good. He looks very hittable. And Sunday at Wrigley was one of those days. Yeah, and I I noticed... um... Over, and this is extending well back into last year. He and the Cubs had experimented with that elevated sinker. Um, and, and there was a stretch last year, and I think maybe he started doing it the year before. Yeah, the pandemic season and had a lot of success with it. He can get a lot of whiffs with it because it's not a plane that hitters are used to seeing for that pitch. Um, but the problem with it is if you miss even slightly down, it's middle middle and it's like a a 87 mile an hour two seamer and um as we have seen when that impeccable command is not there uh kyle hendricks is extremely hittable and when he's also walking a few more guys than he usually does the combination for him is um is pretty disastrous compared to a typical pitcher with maybe a more stuff and velocity oriented um arsenal the, the margin for error for him is much smaller. It always has been, but he's made up for it with that impeccable execution. And I, at some point that was going to fade because of the natural effects of aging. Now he's not an old guy. That's not what I mean, but it's, it is a natural body thing that when you have to have precise command, your mechanics have to be repeated in such a pristine way that if there is anything off a little bit in your body, um, it's going to cause issues. It's going to be tough to compensate for it. And it's the same reason we saw when Jake Arietta fell off, it was fast and hard because his delivery was such that it required incredible core strength, incredible repeat of mechanics and physically that it, it just takes a little bit and then you can't do it anymore. And then it, it's hard to change who you are as a pitcher at, you know, 34, 35. And so I'm not saying that that is me closing the book on Kyle Hendricks. Um, because he, he has shown the ability to, to set himself right for stretches, even post 30. Um, but we can't at this point act as though the last year and a half haven't told us a lot. I mean, like there, there is clearly an element to his game where if he's not physically, you know, pristine with those mechanics, he, he's not going to be successful. And, um, you know, I'd gotten hope when that, when he came back for the last start and he looked pretty darn good after he'd gotten the two week break. Um, now I'm not quite sure what to make of it and going to have to dig in a little bit more. And I'll be curious. I didn't see after the game today. I haven't seen yet if, uh, he spoke with the media or if his start was talked about, but I'll be curious to see what he was thinking about his mechanics today. I did catch his remarks after the game, but he didn't dive in too deep. So I'm gonna, I want to see if maybe he got uh, said some more substantive comments that were not aired uh, in the post game show. I, I, it's honestly hard to watch, but I think you're absolutely right. He just doesn't have a margin for error, and at the moment, he's he's not quite 
getting the command and location that he wants to get. And, and it shows, it shows every other start, it seems like. Um, and it, it doesn't take a lot to exploit it. Uh, some of it is, you know, righty lefty stuff. Some of it is just particular hitters really seeing him incredibly well and doing a lot of damage today was super interesting to me because I thought he looked great uh the first at bat Ronald Acuna Jr. and gets that strikeout and I was like oh this is going to be good Kyle and like two batters later it was gone I also wonder and admittedly this is speculative there's no way to prove it because you wouldn't be able to go back and track it for all of his starts but I wonder how much the tinkering with the ball has impacted Kyle Hendricks I have this theory that we wondered that last year yeah yeah if you're one of these pitchers who who just has to everything has to be 100% perfect for you to hit your spots and the ball is changing on you every game just slightly or the ball is changing on you every couple of months just slightly I think it probably impacts a Kyle Hendricks type pitcher more than it impacts like a Justin Verlander right yeah and you it's not something we would ever really be able to find out not only because like you said it's more or less impossible for us to dig in to each start, but I cannot see Kyle Hendricks being a guy who's going to be like, yeah, they screwed with the ball last year. And then ever since it's never felt consistent and I can't uh, do what I do because of it. He just never would offer that explanation. And I do, I wonder that too, especially like last year. And I believe he's had more of the same this year. Zach Davies was um, a very good control command pitcher with a similarly thin margin for error for many years with the Brewers and then with the Padres. And then 2021 comes along and they are explicitly using a different ball and he's not the same pitcher. And again, I'm not offering excuses for these guys. They don't need me to do it, but I do think that's a very fair point to just to wonder. And we may never know. Yeah. Luis Castillo is another one who comes to mind. He really struggled at the start of 2021 and he's another guy who sort of has that change up that really needs to work for him to make his living. And again, like structures change in baseball all the time. The mound is slightly different. The ball is slightly different. Like, you know, you have, you're going to have bigger bags or whatever at certain levels and they're going to see if that works and then they'll see if that changes the game. So it's not like baseball is this thing that never changes, but I do think it's worth noting, like those changes impact different players differently, right? Like if you, all of a sudden go to a relievers must face three batters rule. All the lefty one out guys are gone. Like they, they just can't, are no longer as useful unless they can find some way to get righties out. That's a career ender for like a certain portion of the league. And I feel like some of the ball shenanigans might, might similarly be um, maybe not a career ender, but a career impactor more so than others uh, for some pitchers. And I think that's what we're seeing with Kyle Hendricks. Uh, moving on a bit to a slightly brighter note from this game, Adrian Sampson was great. He was outstanding. 4.1 in or 4.2 innings pitch, one hit, no runs, no earned runs, struck out five, didn't walk a guy. Great job, Adrian Sampson. Way to save the pen before you head to Pittsburgh. Seriously, and I think 12 whiffs from a guy who, uh, <laughs> you know, we saw him last year. He's a he's a contact guy. And even with Iowa this year, I think he was striking out under 15%. That's a triple A. And so look, it's one appearance in a game that was ostensibly over, but like it was weird to see these really ugly looking whiffs coming from a very capable Braves lineup. So I don't know. I, I, I would be curious to see him pitch again, not because I'm like selling myself on anything, but just because I want to see how the heck did he do that? <laughs> On a day where they were seeing the ball really well. I, I totally agree. I'm interested in more from Adrian Sampson. One last note from this game. 
another two hit game for Ian Happ. Ian Happ is quietly making an all-star case out there and, and I'm here for it. I think that, you know, his thing has always been the peaks are great. The valleys are just so miserable that it, he's, he's not been very, he's not been very um, steady like as an all-star caliber player throughout his career, but he has been for the start of 2022 and I would like to see him get the nod. Yeah. And really hitting lefties this year for the first time. Uh, yeah. He's, he's clearly made some substantial adjustments and good on him. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about where they're going next. The Cubs are headed to Pittsburgh. It's a four game set. We'll start Monday night. This team is slightly better on the road. Even after that disastrous East coast road trip road trip, they are still 12 and 16 on the road this year they are not very good at Wrigley Field we, we won't talk about that we, we just <laughs> talked about that we won't talk about that uh the Cubs are gonna roll out Caleb Killian who gets his third start in the major leagues uh Matt Swarmer who I think is on his fourth start in the major leagues uh Keegan Thompson and Justin Steele man if you told me this was gonna be the rotation in the middle of June at the start of the season I would have thought the Cubs well might have the record that they have right now <laughs> it's it's funny because we, we want to see that you know like like if, if the season's going to be lost anyway, it's like, okay, then I want to see the young pitchers go. But you're right. If we had had this conversation in March, I would be like, what the hell happened? And and future me would be like, well, exactly what you think. Like all the pitchers are hurt and out and the team is not very good. And so here's Caleb Killian. Enjoy. Caleb, I really like Caleb Killian. I got to go to his debut. I actually got to go to a second start as well. He did not look like the same pitcher in both of those starts. I think he's still trying to figure out how to consistently uh do what he does well, which is locate and get and, and fool guys. And, and he's, he's talked about it. He said that he doesn't feel it the same way in his legs. Like he can't quite replicate the motion that he's trying to replicate and he's trying to feel it out at the big leagues. But the thing I will say about Caleb Killian is that every time he talks to the press, he just seems so even keel about the whole thing. He does not seem like it's over, like it's overwhelming that he's having worse starts in the majors than he had in AAA. He just seems like a guy who's going to try to figure it out. And I, and I'm excited about that. Um, you know, I, this is the rotation I thought we would see in September though, not after the trade deadline, not the rotation that I thought we would see on Father's Day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also a bo bonus note on that pirate series. They are calling up O'Neill Cruz for this series. Top one of the top prospects in baseball. So the Cubs and we Cubs fans will get the first uh, look. I mean, he, he was up uh, for a very brief taste late last year, but this is his first like, he's up and ready to go. So it'll be fun in a way. It'll be fun to see. I, it, it's fun. I, I mean, I'm, I've been stashing O'Neill Cruz in a couple of fantasy <laughs> leagues for a while now, and I'm kind of cranky at the pirates that they waited so long to bring him up. He is a truly prodigious power threat. I mean, if you watched him in spring training, the, the home runs were long and they were plentiful. And I'm, I'm curious to see if he can do that at the major league level. Um, so that'll be exciting to keep an eye on. Uh, the other thing that jumps out at me here curious to see what Matt Swarmer can do. I don't know how much I was expecting from Matt Swarmer. I, I, I thought he'd be kind of limited because he's really only a two pitch guy that slider and four seed. And I think the Yankees exploited that. They very clearly just sat one pitch and pummeled him for a lot of home runs in that band box. They call a stadium over there in the Bronx, but uh, Matt Swarmer has been effective in all of his other starts. Nobody like he was very good with that two pitch combo against a Cardinals team that is not easily fooled like Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt say what you will about them. They can hit and they were not hitting Mr. Swarmer. So curious to see if he can make that work. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's got traditionally what you would look at as a potential multi-ending relief arm because he's got a really, really good slider and it makes the four seamer playable, but how you turn that into a starting pitcher who sees guys three times in a game. I, I don't, I don't know how you 
do it, but I'm, I'm fascinated to keep seeing it. Cause like you said, he, outside of that Yankee start, he had made it work and he kind of can change the shape on his slider a little bit. So it's almost like two and a half pitches, but yeah, I look forward to seeing him again. Yeah. We'll be keeping an eye on him for sure. Anything interesting to you about the guys we see the pirates sending out here. We got JT Brubaker, a TBD, Zach Thompson, an old friend, Jose Quintana, who could not pitch for the Chicago Cubs to save his life, but appears to be resurrecting himself for our friends in Pittsburgh. Uh, and don't sleep on TBD. Dangerous, dangerous righty. No, uh, yeah. I mean, anytime I see Jose Quintana, I mean, a lot of old friends, whenever I see them facing the Cubs, you dread it because if if the Cubs hit him, it's like there's no value in that because uh, you're supposed to hit him. He was He crashed very hard with the Cubs, obviously. But if you don't, then it's like, well, that's just an extra gut shot. So, yeah, I don't love that he's closing out that series. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. Um, let's close this out with some looks at hot hitters and then just a look at what people can expect from both of our sites, Bleed Cubby Blue and Bleacher Nation, over the next week. Uh, the Pirates are kind of cold at the plate right now. They have three. these, And as always, these numbers are run over the last five weeks. I only pull guys who have a WRC plus of 110 or higher with more than 30 plate appearances. So this is not everything, and these are not season-wide numbers. We're just looking at streaks right now. But over the over the past five weeks, uh, Reynolds, Gamble, and Hayes are the guys to keep an eye on for the Pirates, and none of them is is a world beater. I mean, you got uh, Brian Reynolds here with a WRC plus of 116. That means he's been 16% better than league average at driving in runs. And then uh, Ben Gamble, our old friend, Cub Killer, Ben Gamble at 111. Cabrian Hayes also at 111. Nothing here jumps out as truly threatening to me. So I, I presume that some guy we've never heard of is going to absolutely rake Jake Sawinski, maybe. Um, and we'll see what happens uh, with O'Neill Cruz. What do you see here? Yeah. And, and uh, don't sleep on Dan Vogelbach, right? He, uh, he just, uh, he's, he's, he's fun to watch. I think if, if nothing else, uh, cause he, he, that, that little skirmish that he had at the plate with Wilson Contreras, was very enjoyable to me because it just made no sense at all. Uh, I swear where Wilson, Wilson was just trying. Wilson was, was trying, trying to be a nice guy. Yeah, he was just trying to be like, "You okay, man? Sorry, we knocked." And I think I think Vogelbach was pissed that he was out, and so he just kind of took him out on Willie. But uh, yeah, I don't expect any additional tensions to flare. But um, yeah, that should be fun. It really made me wonder if something had happened between those two when they were in the minor <laughs> leagues together. Because I was like, "This is this is an outsized reaction for a guy." checking on you to make sure you are okay. But I, I agree. That was, that was a funny moment. And I will definitely be keeping my eyes on Mr. Vogelbach. The Cubs offense actually looks quite good in these numbers. They've been bouncing back a little bit. They, you know, they just had, it feels like they can't fire on all cylinders. If they're hitting well, the starting pitching is good. And the bullpen is bad. If the bullpen is good the, and they're hitting well, the starting pitching is bad and, the, and vice versa. Like there's always one that is a little bit off, but Wilson Contreras continues to just, he's a world beater. He is Whatever pressure comes from being on the block at the trade deadline has amped Wilson to another level. And that's all he's ever done his entire career. You put pressure on him. He's like, I will do more. You put pressure on him. He'll, he'll do more. And he's got a WRC plus over the last month and change of 170. PJ Higgins. Also, there's a reason he's playing third base every now and again. He's got a WRC plus of 141. Ian Happ at 139. Christopher Morell has cooled off a little bit. That 129 is quite a bit lower. Then it used to be Patrick Wisdom still chilling at 125 and Raphael Ortega quietly making some moves at 123. This offense looks sound if they can keep the pitching intact. What do you see here? I see a lot of the missing names and I think about how much playing time they're getting, but I won't linger on that. I, I would I'll, I'll I would like to to drop a note on PJ Higgins. I am 
glad to see that he's getting that playing time, despite now being the third catcher on the roster. I was very glad the Cubs kept him up. Uh, he does have that versatility uh, to be able to play the corner infield spots. And I mean, he hits, he hits so well at Iowa the last couple of years. Um, and sometimes the bat comes later for catchers. That's, that's not uncommon. And the Cubs may have an opening either at, uh, you know, sort of the third catcher or second catcher next year. And, and I just, I wanted to see what he's got at the big league level this year. So the Cubs can make that 40 man decision on him in the off season. So I'm, I'm pretty excited uh, that he's getting a little bit of run. And I also want to note uh, with Alfonso Rivas coming up again uh, with Frank Schwindel going on the IL, you know, things did not go well for Rivas the, the last time around. He uncharacteristic strikeout rate. Clearly pitchers figured out he's going to handle the fastball very well and not really going to handle the breaking stuff in the zone all is all that well. So I'm excited to see him, you know, go down, come back up and sort of start to apply that. Cause I still believe that there's a big league bat there. I, I think it's not, he, I don't know that he's ever going to be a starter at first base for a, you know, playoff caliber team, but a complimentary bat, uh, who can play first base, can play some corner outfield, can DH when you need, can come off the bench. You know, I, I just, I like the way he hits. I like the way he looks when he's right. And so I'm glad, you know, I'm not happy that, that Frank got hurt, but I am happy that the Cubs have sort of a one-to-one replacement that they can call on and, and give Rivas this chance. You know, I really like Rivas and he's a great defender. He makes really oh, yeah. smart defensive plays. He makes plays that Frank Schwindel is not even in the neighborhood of making. No offense to Frank the Tank. I like Frank the Tank, but I, Alfonso Rivas is a much better defender. I, I watched him do a couple of just really smart things. Uh, you know, just letting balls drop where they should or like throwing to second on, throwing to second before touching first to make sure you get the force at second on the double play. Just like really fundamentally sound baseball that, you need, particularly when you have a staff of starting pitchers who are pitch to contact guys, like you need defenders who don't make mental errors. And I think Rivas fits that bill really well. So I agree. I'm glad to see him getting some playing time. I'm going to be keeping an eye on that, keeping an eye on PJ Higgins and his 283, 365, 500 slash line so far across 53 plate appearances this time around with the Cubs. Uh, where can people find you and what you're keeping an eye on this week? Brett Taylor. Well, thank you kindly. And thank you again for having me on, Sarah. This is a lot of fun. We we know each other a little bit outside of the this uh, uh, this space. So it's nice to see you in addition to uh, talking Cubs. But yeah, I'll be over at Bleacher Nation. Uh, you can read my stuff there. I primarily cover the Cubs for us over there. And you can also catch me on Twitter at Bleacher Nation, where I you know say stupid things about hot dogs and also baseball frequently. Must follow account Bleacher Nation always has great stuff. Uh, like I said, that note about Wilson Contreras not wanting to call pitches against his brother was it one, it was just classic Wilson Contreras, but also like the type of stuff that I love seeing out there. And Bleacher Nation does a great job of making sure that those tidbits get to fans. Uh, you can find any, me and all of my baseball takes at, at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find my writing at bleedcubbyblue.com. And, and as always, if you follow the podcast account, we will tweet every episode out there. We will tweet all of the notes that we have from the show there as well. That is at Cup of Cubby Blue. If the Cubs are able to handle this four-game series against the Pirates and not have Dan Vogelbach go off on them in classic Cubs revenge fashion, you will hear about it here first on at Cup of Cubby Blue. Until next time, go Cubs.